This is episode 464 of the AWS podcast, released on August 8, 2021. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Leisha here with you. Great to have you back and I'm joined by a special guest. I'm joined by John Jackson, who is a Senior Product Manager here at AWS. Welcome to the podcast, John. Thanks, Simon. Great to be here. Good to have you here. Now, we're talking about a topic that I know very little about, um, although there are many topics that fit that category, but uh, it's it's an interesting one that I think may help a lot of our listeners. So it relates to the topic or a piece of software called Apache Airflow. So maybe let's start at the start. What is Apache Airflow? So Apache Airflow is an open source platform that data scientists and data engineers use to orchestrate uh, typically uh, data pipelines, or but it can really can be any uh, on any actions. And they do this via a, a special type of uh, workflow called a directed acyclic graph, which is actually written in Python and really defines all of the steps that have to be completed before the next steps proceed. That's interesting. I mean, you had me at Python, quite frankly, but it's interesting. It's, it seems like a, a lot of the work we do in IT is moving stuff from one place to another or from one state to another. Uh, is, this, is this kind of approach used in a particular domain or is it a broad-based type thing? It's pretty broadly based. So, you know, almost everybody who uses Airflow is going to use it at least in part for ETL jobs, which is exactly what you described. It'll, you know, um, extract, transform, load, take data from somewhere, do something with it and put it somewhere else. But you're also seeing a lot more emerging use around, especially around uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning, because Airflow is great for, you know, extracting a bunch of data from somewhere, which is very much part of that ETL, but then not just providing the data for the machine learning, but then triggering the machine learning and say, okay, the data is ready. Go ahead and do your magic, create your models, you know, figure out what you want to do with this stuff. And it, it allows you to very quickly connect the dots between these sort of disparate, you know, there's a sensor that does something, there's a learning model in the middle, and then you want to be able to use that in the real world. Yeah, it really, really ties into that whole thing that uh, anything related to sort of you know, data science, machine learning is 80% data engineering <laughs> and the rest is the, the actual science. It's all about getting the data where you need it to be. So the team created Amazon Managed Workflows for Apache Airflow. Why? Why was that something that our customers were asking for? You know, it's really because Airflow, you know, as great as it is, it still requires a lot of work getting it set up, right? So you need to figure out how to connect all the services together. How do you monitor it? How do you scale it? How do you secure the login for it? Uh, what happens when a new version comes out? How do we just keep it running and keep it at a sort of an enterprise grade for, you know, their internal users, the actual data scientists and data engineers who want to write the workflows on the platform? And so customers came to us and said, can you make this easier? And of course, you know, that's what we, uh, that's what we try to do with our, our Amazon uh, managed workflows for Apache Airflow. And I think we did a pretty good job with it. Are you telling me that we tried to get rid of the undifferentiated heavy lifting of running Apache Airflow? Would that be a fair assessment? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, as with any, you know, any piece of software, uh, just like uh, Airflow is, there's a lot of work in just getting it running, right? And Anything that can be done to really allow customers to spend less time administering the platform and more time building the things that make their business run is a win. I would agree. I think I think we've all had that feeling where you have that inspired idea and you, you know, roll up the sleeves and get onto the laptop and go, okay, I'm going to build something. 
And then you realize, but first I need to set up this thing, this thing, this thing, and this thing. And it just sort of sucks the energy out of you and you got no, no energy for the creativity part. (laughs) There's nothing that kills creativity and pro and and developing a, you know, a a great piece of software, a great code, a great solution, then, okay, well, I have to create my build environment. I have to do all these other steps. If you can just step right in and get into that, uh, get into that work that really provides value, uh, that's, it's hugely rewarding. So is this, is this serverless? How quickly does it take to set up? How, how complex or simple is it for me to get going if I need to use this capability? So at its base level, it's extraordinarily simple. We're going to ask you a few questions about, you know, where do you want this to connect on your your virtual private cloud? Because we want it to make sure that it's able to access on-prem resources if you need them or your own EC2 instances or wherever your data might reside. Uh, you'll then need to go through and, and figure out are there any, you know, sort of special configurations for Airflow you need. And then pretty much, you know, once you've selected sort of your logging levels and things like that, away you go. It usually only takes a few minutes to do this through the console. Of course, you can also use CloudFormation or the APIs to, you know, automate that task as well. And then once it's actually started going, it does take about 20 minutes for, you know, all the backend containers to build and all that sort of good stuff. And what you end up with is a fully functioning Apache Airflow environment that's ready to go. I find that uh, that 20 minute wait is always a nice, uh, let's go get a coffee because <laughs> you feel productive, even though you're not actually doing anything because stuff is happening. Exactly. You're doing something or rather the, the service is doing it for you, but it still counts. Well, exactly. You're getting, you're getting an output. So, you know, when we think about orchestration, there are, there are lots of different choices. And, you know, when I think about orchestration, my mind actually goes to step functions in the first instance. Um, how would this compare with that? So. Airflow and step functions, you know, at the very high level, both can do orchestration. Where step functions really excels is in its true serverless nature. So, for example, let's say I was an e-commerce company. I wouldn't use Airflow to sign up new users or process individual orders because Airflow is meant to run on a known schedule with known data, whereas step functions, it doesn't matter whether you get one order at a time or a million orders at a time. It can scale out to that. Now, if I'm that same company and I'm, say, processing daily sales figures, then I have a choice in platforms, right? I can still use step functions. It can still do all those same capabilities. But if we want to maybe leverage more open source or we want to abstract for, you know, if the users that are calculating those daily figures may be very different users than the folks that are are creating those signups, then... Um, we may want to abstract some of those AWS services. There might be external sources that they want to compare with that information. Say they want to pull from advertising APIs or somewhere else. So for all those reasons, I might choose to give my internal users that need to do the sort of daily ETL type processing, uh, Apache Airflow, so that it gives them a little more flexibility. Yeah, I guess it's, a, it's the, the right tool for the right job is really what we're trying to get to here. Exactly. Uh, I don't think, you know, and this is one thing that AWS does fantastic, right? They provide so many tools that you always can find the right one for the job. So you talked a bit about the, the configuration process. I guess I'm interested, I mean, you get to talk to lots of customers about this. What are some of the, the tips you have in terms of some of the configuration options that customers might choose when, when setting up their managed workflow? And also maybe what are some of the, the things that people sometimes may bump into that they should be aware of? So Absolutely. So the first real challenge is around the networking. When AWS built managed workflows for Apache Airflow, 
one of the goals was to make sure that it could still tie into all of your or all customers' data. And a lot of that data is going to reside on-prem or, or in a variety of different sources. So the most straightforward way to expose the managed service to that data was to essentially provision the service on the customer's uh, virtual private cloud. It gives you the flexibility then to connect it to whatever you'd like to do. However, that then means that that VPC needs to do things like access uh, CloudWatch for all the logging that managed workflows does. It needs to access S3, which is where all the workflow definitions exist. It needs to access ECR so that it can actually pull these airflow images out and build the service. And so making sure that it's that all those things are accessible are it can be a challenge. There's also uh, one of the options we provided with managed workflows was the ability to expose the front end, the web server, solely through that VPC. We do offer an option that essentially allows the Airflow user interface to be to really act like any other console. It's all protected by IAM. You provide a policy to the users you want to be able to access. But you still, uh, you know, if you want to control it so it's only accessible through your VPC, that adds another complexity around how do you build the VPC network to route that data. So that can be a challenge as well. We also provide for the actual containers that do the work, we assume an IAM execution role for those containers. Again, this makes it really easy to say, hey, I want this service to talk to EMR and I want it to talk to Redshift. You can do it all through IAM. It can be part of your automated provisioning process, makes it really easy. But that still means that that execution role needs access to all those same services they're dependent on. So it needs access to um, SQS and S3 and CloudWatch and things like that, which if that's changed, that may be a problem. So making sure you can get access to the things you need on a permission basis is a good thing to pay attention to. It is. And it certainly can be a challenge. This is sort of, you know, one of the balance that's that's struck with a managed service is, you know, how much flexibility can we give the customers so they can solve the problems they need to solve? You know, another great example of that is uh, installing Python requirements. So Airflow is written in Python. Your workflows are written in Python. Really, it's just executing Python code. And so one of the key things you need to do is be able to install new libraries to be able to support that. Well, the challenge is because Airflow is written in Python, you can easily break things by putting Python requirements in libraries that don't don't work with other things. Uh, there are you know logging tools that are provided in in Amazon Managed Workflows that help you with that, but really there's you know that can be a challenge as well. And so really setting up the environment in such a way that uh, it can do all the things you want to do, but do so in a, a sort of a robust way can be a challenge. And that was just, again, a balance of trying to give the customer as much flexibility as possible while still being able to manage the service on their behalf. And I guess that's the thing we want. We want to maximize flexibility, but also the reliability. For, for customers that are migrating from maybe self-managed airflow or, or another orchestration platform, what are some, some tips and tricks that can help them have a, a better experience? Absolutely. So, and we're seeing a number of customers that, you know, that have been self-managing Airflow and maybe they're a few versions back and this is a great opportunity for them to hand over the reins and let, you know, let the managed service take over so they can really focus on those, uh, on their workflows. However, when you're self-managing any software, you can do anything you want. There's no restrictions. You can all run the entire thing on one giant EC2. You can have it have Docker pre-installed and all these other things and throw a bunch of memory and CPU at it and away it goes, it's not gonna care. 
the managed service that we're providing runs all on ECS Fargate in the back end. And so it's meant to be sort of as flexible. It, it scales on your behalf, um, but it doesn't open up sort of being able to run a massive amount of compute on a per airflow worker basis. Uh, I keep referring to workers. So what Airflow does is it has a scheduler component that tells it what to do. And then it has some worker components. These are essentially just containers that actually execute the customer's workloads. And so what we've done with managed workflows is separate those up into smaller containers. But that does mean that you need to also separate out some of your work. If you were depending on Docker running on that individual worker before, now you need to run it on ECS or EKS or somewhere else. It results in a better overall architecture, but it does a little bit more work. And that's, I think, the classic thing of, you know, if, if you started building something just from the idea and haven't really thought about the longevity and then over time, the maintenance becomes harder. Um, sometimes unpicking that can be can be tricky. But the good thing is, is that with Amazon Managed Workflows for Apache Airflow, it's it's three steps. I mean, you, you create your environment, you write your code and send it up there, and then you run it. You know, so so it can be that simple to get going. But um, it kind of depends where you're starting from. There's a really cool uh, video demo as well of how to get going, which I think is is quite handy in terms of just conceptualizing how it all ties together. Yeah, it's it's there are some great resources on our website to be able to, and on the console pages to help. There's been some blog posts and some videos, and we're trying to give as many tools as possible to to help customers do that. Um, the one piece of advice I can generally give is don't just try and dump everything over, right? Do things, don't boil the ocean, don't try and you know take off more than you can chew, whatever whatever idiom you prefer. Take a couple of workflows that make sense that can be taken off logically out of your self-managed system and move it over to the managed service. Get those running, decommission them on the old version. There's no reason why you can't stand them up in parallel. Uh, and then eventually you've migrated everything over and you're ready to go. And let's talk about uh, the, the plugins. You know, plugins is a big part of the Airflow community. How, how does that work on this particular um, service? But also in terms of open source, what is Amazon giving back in terms of the Apache Airflow project? Absolutely. So with regards to plugins, basically what we do is we simply, whatever you, whatever plugins you need, we simply unzip a, a file that you've specified on S3 that contains all the plugins you want. We simply unzip that on all of the scheduler and worker containers, the things that actually run the Airflow service. And Airflow takes it from there. We haven't done anything. We are running only the open source Airflow version. It will behave exactly the same way as it will on your on-prem or running it anywhere else. And as far as open source goes, we're committed to only ever being open source. In fact, we're contributing right now and speaking of plugins, we're actually working on a, a native EKS operator as we speak with the open source community. So you can actually go to GitHub now, you can see the, the comments, you can comment on what our plan is on that. And we're committed to improving Airflow for everybody, whether they use it uh, uh, our managed service or on AWS or just use it wherever they'd like. Yeah, that feedback loop is is super important and glad to see that's really flowing nicely and that uh, the customers can also have a have a vote. What about the pricing? How does that work? So we've tried to keep the pricing as simple as possible. So the base level pricing is just your entire airflow environment uh, just on an hourly basis. So that's everything you need to have airflow running. That is your the web server that provides the front end, uh, a single worker that will execute the tasks, the scheduler that scheduled the task, a backend metadatabase that stores all of the data, and of course, all of the plumbing that connects them all together. The only real variable pricing on top of that is we do provide a uh, built-in auto scaling mechanism, which will let you 
add additional workers to add additional compute capacity to perform more actions in parallel. Customers can choose a maximum number of those. And so if you set it to one, then you'll not do any auto scaling. If say you set to 10, that means that we can add up to nine additional workers on top of the one that's built in. And that will allow some capacity to handle spikes. And what we do is we simply monitor the airflow queue. We see how many tasks are being queued up. If we see that there's uh, more tasks queued, we add additional workers up to that maximum. And then we'll continue to, once we hit that maximum, we'll continue to monitor the queue. If there's no longer any tasks executing or queued up, we will dispose of the extra containers. and You'll be back down to that base level again. Nice. Pretty easy. <laughs> not not hard to track and uh, pay as you go, pay for it years. That's what we like. Exactly. And that was another sort of feedback from customers is, you know, we don't want to worry about setting up auto scaling groups and we don't want to worry about a bunch of complex setup to try and, you know, we have ETLs that run every night at midnight or two in the morning and they need a ton of capacity all at once. But then most of the day we don't need that. Uh, you know, there's still some jobs that'll be happening from time to time. And they didn't want to have to really figure out how to set that up. They would really just like it to, hey, handle, you know, hey, AWS, handle our spikes as we need to. And otherwise, we just want to worry about writing the code. I like it. John, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and, uh, and helping us understand more. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. Or you can of course leave audio feedback, just linked off the actual podcast page and also a link in the show notes too. We do love to get that as well. And until next time, keep on building.